Maybe you're confused. Like a lot of other Christians, when you read Philippians 2.12, you may ask yourself the question, what does that verse really mean anyway? You say, I can't remember the verse. All right, I'll read it for you. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's that last part of the verse that confuses so many people. Work out your salvation or your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we know that God does not give us salvation as a result of our own efforts or our own works. And so a lot of people begin to read this verse, well, what God has worked in, we should work out and all that sort of thing. God has worked it in as a, a seed. We have to work it out as a, a full-blooming flower or something like that. And that's, of course, true. But that isn't what the verse is talking about at all. We need to understand this verse in its context, and then we'll understand what meaning it has for us as we try to face life's problems, because this is a very rich and wonderful verse. And it's one that you may need to hear today, and you may need to hear uh, in terms of some of the really significant problems that you're facing in life. Now, we know that Paul is not saying that you're saved by your own good works because he's writing in this letter to Christians. He begins the letter of Philippians to, uh, by addressing the letter to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. And incidentally, saints are simply people who have been separated from sin and from the normal crowd of sinners who are lost and condemned and on their way to hell, who have been separated out by God to become his people. They are separated from sin to righteousness, from the devil and from his kingdom to God. A saint is anybody who has been saved. And Paul's writing to people who are saved. Well, then what does he mean when he says to save people that they must work out their own salvation with fear and trembling? Well, you see, this passage occurs in a context, and we're going to do a little Bible study in order to understand it first. In the first chapter, verse 27, Paul says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now notice, that's where our whole section begins. And the verse that we have in verse 12 is the conclusion of that section. Notice the verse says, therefore, or in another version, so then, my beloved. That's a conclusion. And the argument that Paul is about ready to make starts in chapter 1, verse 27, and runs all the way over to chapter 2, verse 12. Now, what is his argument in that section in between? Well, Paul is writing from prison. Paul is in Rome. Paul can't come to see them. He was uh, about to face Nero. He's going to go through a tremendous trial before that emperor of the world. And he has been praying that they would, uh, uh, and asking them to pray that God would give him a good witness as he stands before the emperor of the Roman world. All that in the first chapter. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die, but he thinks that he's going to continue for a while because uh, of their prayers and because of the need of the church which God is serving through his ministry. Indeed, he did escape that first trial and was later condemned at a second trial, but he did continue on in his ministry after this time. But now he has heard about the Philippian church, which he loved dearly. He said he had them in his heart. 
And in this Philippian church, there was a split. There was a division. We read about that division or that split in chapter 4 of Philippians. There he says, I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. There were two women in the church at Philippi who were dividing the church. Probably they were, they were at the heads of various factions. I don't know whether they were arguing over what kind of tablecloths they should have on the table or whether they were arguing about what kind of curtains there should be at the window. But, uh, you know, there's nothing worse than a, a scrap in a church between two women. Well, Paul recognized that the church was being divided by these two women and their, their uh, cohorts. And so he's beginning now not to talk about these women or about the negative side of it. That comes much later in the letter. But very tactfully, he starts his discussion by stressing the positive side. And he talks here about unity and what will bring unity to a church that's divided. And he talks about he wants to see them standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Notice down in chapter 2, he talks about in verse 2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Uh, well, you see, this whole emphasis then is an emphasis upon unity. And he says, if you want unity, what you've got to do, he mentions two things in chapter 2, verse 3 and verse 4, is to get rid of selfishness and empty conceit and instead regard each one as more important than himself. And secondly, stop looking out for your own personal interests, but start taking an interest in the problems of other people and helping them. That doesn't mean as a, a busybody poking your nose into their business, but to really be concerned about other people. And then to give the greatest example of this kind of self-sacrificing concern for others that he could give, he says, have this attitude in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he tells in that marvelous passage from verse 6 of chapter 2 through verse 11, how Jesus, though he was God, and had all of the glory and all of the worship and all of the praise of the angels of heaven, laid aside all of that external glory, and as God became man also, but humbled himself and walked among us, not only uh, as a man, but as a slave, and not only as a slave, but as a slave who was condemned and who was executed by men, and not only as one who was a slave who was condemned and executed by men, but as one who died on that worst death of all, that most ignominious and shameful death that was reserved for the worst criminals, the death of the cross. And then he says in verse 9, because Jesus Christ thought of others rather than of himself and came from heaven to earth and endured all of these things, emptying himself of all of the honor and the glory which was his, therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at this name which he gave Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is, and here's the name he gave him, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then comes our verse right there at the conclusion of all this. So then, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, I can't be with you now, I'm in prison in Rome. You've got a split in your church. You'd pay attention to me if I came and straighten it out, but you've got to listen to me now as I write to you. Much more listen to me now in my absence. Work out your own salvation. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about that problem. He's talking about that issue that needs to be solved. He's talking about that split in the church. And they've got to work it out without Paul there. That is, they've got to work it out on their own. Work it out on your own without me being there to help you work it out is what Paul is saying. Work it out in such a way that you will do it 
without upsetting more people or causing more difficulty. Work it out with fear and with trembling. So you see what Paul's talking about is that we can't always have somebody there with us. We can't always have a preacher to lean upon. We can't always have somebody who can help us out of the mess. There are times when we must work out our own solutions to life's problems. When the temptation comes at work, when the temptation comes over the backyard fence or down at, at uh, uh, the school or wherever it may be, this is the time when God has said to you, you're alone. But notice the next verse. He says, you're not really ever alone if you know Christ. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When you're alone, God is with you. He will help you to have not only the desire, but the ability to fulfill it. Look, today you may face some test or trial or temptation alone, but God is with you. Remember that and face it in strength and confidence. Lord, help us to do just this, we pray. For Christ's sake, amen. <music> 